0: Welcome to the Sandhills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Good morning, good morning. 11 o'clock, beautiful. You weren't out here when it was like freezing this morning, although it's southern freezing, you know, still legitimately freezing, but not as bad as it could be. Um, And it's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, so hopefully most of you all get the day off tomorrow. Uh, You know, one thing it does remind me of, though, is that one of our distinctives at Sand Hills Community Church is that we want to be intentionally diverse. And I would like to think that if Dr. King were alive today and he walked into this church, he'd be like, hey, yeah, you're doing it. And uh, I mean, it's amazing, it's amazing. I mean, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll find what unites us rather than digging into culture and finding what divides us. Um, also too, uh, we have some missionaries coming home on furlough. Uh, furlough means they come off the field for a, a set period of time. So Trent and Lexi O'Neill uh, will be coming off the field with their children. Uh, they, oh, I right, some Trent and Lexi fans. All right, amen to that. Uh, they've been working with Africa Inland Mission for the last seven years, ministering to Muslims, um, uh, or among Muslims. Um, and they're going to be returning at the end of January for about a year. And so our church is helping to provide uh, rental housing for them. But when they went to the field years ago, they got rid of most of their stuff. And so they need, they need stuff. And so we're asking if you guys could help with that. They need a number of household goods, furnishings, stuff like that. Um, now, there's a list of things on our uh, church Facebook page, and then also on the ladies' Facebook page of Sandhills. Uh, but then also, Roger Orner and I think Jan actually are here. Are you guys in the service today? Oh, there's Roger. Oh, look in the back. Everybody, there's Roger. And so Roger will be at a table in the cafe if you haven't already connected with him. Uh, and he's got a list of things that they need. Uh, and you can talk to him about that. Previously, it was dressers, bedding, and kitchen stuff. But I don't know how much of that the first couple services took care of. But um, also cash or gift cards, you know, like to Walmart or something where you can get everything that you need. uh would be very helpful. We're also going to be uh, helping move some furniture on January 20th. And so if you would like a free workout, no charge to you, uh, January the 20th, you can move some stuff. And then on January the 27th, we'll be doing some cleaning to get their house ready uh, for them to arrive. Uh, And then we'll do a meal list so when they first show up, they don't have to worry about cooking meals uh, for their family. But more to come on that, but make sure you go to the cafe and see Roger uh, after we're done today. All right, Uh, if you have your Bibles handy, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is it. We're finishing 1 Samuel. This has been a great run. I hope that through this, you've uh, learned to love 1 Samuel. I hope you've uh, developed a better appreciation for the Old Testament. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. And uh, we saw last week some great stuff. We're going to see this week some great stuff. But in the middle of all of this, uh, what we're going to see is we're going to see a silver lining, a silver lining. Now, I, don't, I, I think you're probably familiar with the term of a silver lining. People will tell you uh, in the midst of dark things, there's a silver lining. And, and the idea is this. It's a great picture, a word picture. It's the idea of a dark storm cloud uh, that's up in the sky. But when you look at the dark storm cloud uh, on a, during the day, You'll see a bright light at the fringes of it, right? The silver lining. The idea is that you don't let the dark cloud blot out your knowledge of the existence of the bright thing behind it, either the sun or in this case... Uh, we're talking about the Lord. And perhaps unironically, the person to have coined the phrase silver lining uh, was a Christian author. And uh, so uh, uh, John Milton wrote about this in a poem. He was the one that originated it. And, uh, and he talked about the silver lining. And for him, he was referencing the Lord, that there are things going on in life that, that darkness tends to cover up. And we need to be reminded uh, that God is behind all of things and eventually reveals himself. And so uh, that's what I love. It's a great word picture. And so we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the silver lining in First Samuel chapter thirty. So for some background, so chapter 30 was kind of the wrap-up for King David. If you remember, and this is where we are. So King David has been on the run from Saul with he and his army. And um, his army has taken on wives and kids and all that kind of stuff. And so they went to Philistia and have been hiding among the Philistines in a city called Ziklag. And uh, that's where they've lived. They've been hanging out. The Philistines were going to war. His uh, sovereign over him at the time was a guy named Achish. Achish said, listen, David, you got to fight for me in this war against Israel. You got to fight your own kinsmen. And David's like, I'm in. We'll do it. We'll fight our our own people. And so David and his men march with Philistia, and they're about to go to war. But before they can even get to war, the rest of the Philistine leaders were not as excited about that. And they're like, there's no way we're letting Israelite soldiers march out with us, because as soon as we get into battle, they'll turn on us. So you need to send them back. So David and his fighting men had to march about uh, 50 miles uh, back to where they were from. And uh, as they got back, they realized there was smoke on the horizon and that while they were gone, the Amalekites, uh, a warring group, had come through and wiped out a bunch of cities, including Ziklag. And they had burned all their homes, they kidnapped their families, and they'd taken all their stuff. And so David and his men, uh, if you remember the story, were enraged, went and followed him, and, uh, and wiped out the Amalekites. And then in, in so doing, David also got the spoils of what they had taken from all the other people. And so uh, David actually ended up uh, very wealthy as a result of this, kind of a silver lining in the midst of a really dark moment there. Well, now we're in chapter 31, and we've been following David in 30, 31, we're going to follow King Saul and uh, see what happens to him. And in this moment, it's his darkest hour. Let's look at the first couple of verses of chapter 31. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. All right, so we'll pause there uh, just for a moment. Um, Maybe we'll go ahead and look at the map. Let's do the map right now. Uh, Again, I love maps. Just remind us that what we're looking at is real. These are real places, real people. This really happened in history. Uh, So here, we're kind of north-central Israel. If you're familiar with a little bit of the the geography of Israel, on the eastern side, you see the Jordan River uh, connected by the Sea of Galilee at the north and the Dead Sea at the south, kind of helping form an eastern border. If you went west on the map, you would eventually end up at the Mediterranean Sea. This is kind of north-central Israel. You'll see Mount Gilboa. That's going to be our place of interest today, uh, where all this is going down. The, The king and his soldiers end up on Mount Gilboa, pursued by the Philistines and killed. Um, Jezreel is northwest of Mount Gilboa, and the valley of Jezreel extends all along the front of Mount Gilboa. And on the eastern side there, you'll see a city, Bethshion or Bethshan, as you're gonna see uh, in the word today, Uh, but that's gonna play a prominent role as well. That's our map. All right, so uh, Saul has gone to war. Uh, Saul was really worried about this Um, he was worried about going to war he he sensed that there was something going on here that was beyond him and so he sought for God's input he begged for God to speak to him God would not speak to him and so in in his mind if God won't speak to you the next best thing to do is to consult a witch Uh, and so he goes and he finds who I call the wicked witch of Endor. he finds her uh, in chapter 28 Uh, and let's just look at what happened in chapter 28 go back to chapter 28 for a second uh, so in chapter 28, if you don't remember the story, uh, Samuel, uh, the main prophet of Israel, is already dead, and um, Saul sneaks in with this witch. And in disguise, he says, I want you to bring back somebody from the dead that I can talk to them. And she's like, oh, sure. Who would you like to you know, bring back? Because, yeah, I bring people back just like all normal people do. And, uh, and so he's like, I want to talk to Samuel the prophet. She's like, okay, Samuel the prophet. And so I, I am of the impression that she's totally fake uh, and that this surprised her as much as it did uh, Saul uh, and maybe Samuel. So um, she goes, she calls him back. Samuel pops up. Boop. He's like, here I am. You want to talk? And uh, he is not happy, by the way. <laughs> Samuel not happy at all with Saul. And as it turns out, God's not happy either. So in 1 Samuel chapter 28, let's just pick back up in verse 15. It says, then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, and he has given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So this is the prophecy that he didn't want to hear. And it's really interesting, too, because there's a few things going on in there. But among all of the things going on in there, the Lord is handing you over. You failed the Lord. The Lord is handing you over. Now, we're going to unpack more of that later. But just the idea of the Lord is behind this. And then there's also a promise here. It's been taken from you, and it's been given to your neighbor, David. It's also prophetic and we'll come back to that. So, all right, let's go back to uh, chapter 31 now. Uh, so you've just, you've read in here, uh, we know that Saul's uh, going down uh, and his sons, Abinadab, Malchashua, um, and then Jonathan all go down. Well, this is only three of his sons. He's got more sons. These are the three that are listed here. But Jonathan, for me, is a particular tragedy. Like, I, I like Jonathan. Jonathan's a man of courage, a man of integrity. He loved the Lord. And he was really caught in this weird situation between his dad who had gone crazy. Like, his, his dad has decided, since God wants to hand the kingdom over to David, the best thing for me to do is to subvert the plans of God and kill David. Like, you, you can't battle god so anyway so he tries to do that and so jonathan wants to love his dad honor his dad and then he loves his best friend his best friend is david and so he's kind of caught between the two but then they go to war and at the end of it all he's no matter what happens he believes in his country he's going to stand up for his country and i've always felt and i said this last week because it tied into chapter 30 as well That those who are willing to lay down their lives or risk their lives for their country are very noble uh, people. So for all of you who have served uh, in the military or are serving in the military, thank you so much. Uh, Really respect your noble sacrifice. And so this is what's going on here. He's like, no matter what, I stand for my country. I'm going to do this thing. Um, so as I was reading through this this last week, if you're like me, when you read scripture, sometimes things pop off in your head that connect to local things going on in the world today. So uh, one of the things, if you're not familiar, that Israel's in the midst of a uh, conflict right now uh, with Palestine. And uh, it is curious to me how that whole thing has been revealed. Like, first of all, there's been a, a bunch, and I've been surprised by this, a bunch of anti-Israel sentiment in the U.S. Like, I didn't, I didn't know that was out there, uh, and I thought that's something we didn't do. I, I thought we didn't take a stand against the Jews. I thought that was a, a bad thing as a culture and a country, but apparently everybody's feeling okay with it now. Um, and so then in response, a number of people have put you know, on their social media, like, I stand with Israel or, or whatever it would be. Um, let me just offer this note as we think about what's going on with Israel and Palestine. At heart, At the heart of all of this, it's really a spiritual conflict, if I could say that, and both need Jesus. Like no matter what they both, like I've been to Israel a couple of times. It is not a Christian country. Like they desperately need Jesus. And so if you're going to pray for the conflict, would you pray that both sides would come to know the Lord? Like that would solve so much. So uh, that's what I encourage you to pray about. And um, I'm not standing for or against people other than their need for Christ. And that's what I encourage you uh, to do as well. Um, So yeah, just Weird stuff going on in the world today. Um, so they've gone to a point now where it mentions in here that the men of Israel fled before the Philistines. They fled before the Philistines. Now, this is the second time we've seen this in 1 Samuel. We also saw it in chapter 4. And if you remember in chapter 4, what happened was you had Eli, who is this uh, high priest who is a, a bad dude. He had two kids, Hophni and Phinehas, who were also priests. They were bad dudes. Uh, and they, because they were losing, Israel was losing in a battle. The sons of the high priest decided what we should do is we should go get the Ark of the Covenant and carry it out with us into battle. Then God will be forced to fight for us, basically. And God's like, yeah, I don't, I don't submit myself to you. You submit yourself to me. And God did not show up. And Israel got slaughtered and the Ark was captured. And when all that went down and then the high priest died when he heard the news and the two kids were killed, uh, like all of Israel falls apart and they, they run for their lives. Now, in both instances, chapter four, chapter 31, as we're seeing these battles go down, Both of these are judgments from God. Both are judgments from God. And and one of the things I think we need to be reminded of is that God cares much less about our physical well-being than he does about our soul. And so I don't think God is bothered at all by the fact that sometimes life is devastating to us if it will push us to him. In fact, probably many of you have kind of (laughs) prayed in those lines. And I'll bet, I'll bet, some of you have been through stuff like life scaring kind of stuff that drove you to the Lord, right? You've been through a loss or a pain or a difficulty that pushed you to the Lord. And I think in the end, you'd be like, oh dude, I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it. I just, I'd rather know Jesus and have gone through that pain than not know him at all, right? Um, and that's, I think that's what God is doing with Israel. He's, he's pushing them to the point that they realize that they uh, have a need. So let's, let's find out how this plays itself out. Let's go to verse three. So the battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. Wow, that, what a horrible day. That is a horrible day. And can you just imagine the idea that, so the, the archers found him. Never want archers to find you on the, on the opposing side because they find you uh, with their arrows. And so they find him uh, and hit him a number of times. And he knows he has a mortal wound. He knows he's going to die. And in the midst of this moment where he knows he's going to die, he turns to his armor bearer. Now, the armor bearer is his right-hand man who's with him all the time, no matter what. Uh, and so you can just imagine, as the war is going on, there's still a group of people protecting King Saul. Like, he's, he may have gone into the conflict some, uh, but when things start to turn, he pulls back and probably a protection with him, including maybe his sons. Um, and then those guys get killed, and then there's, like, there's nobody left but King Saul and his armor bearer. Uh, and so they're there to the point where they, they shoot him. Wound him, and then he turns to his armor bearer, is like, "Hey, I need you to kill me." Like, what? I, like he's just made the armor bearer like, "My whole life I've laid down to protect you. You want me to kill? Like, there's no way I'm killing you. Like this, there's just he can't get his mind around right it." And so Saul does the unthinkable. He takes his sword, turns it around, puts it against something, and just falls on it and kills himself. Now imagine you're the armor bearer. What kind of day are you having right now? I mean, you're like, "What? What's it? Why what would you? You know, And then you're like. I'm all by myself. I am all by myself. And the army is, you know, coming up the side of the mountain. And so he's just like, all right. And then he falls on his own. And then, you know, you're like, what? <laughs> like, what is going on? I mean, just talk about a, a horrible tragedy. Now, part of it was Saul, with Saul, like he knows he's mortally wounded. And there's just something about knowing that you're going to die. And um, hopefully none of us are in that situation. I mean. We all know we're going to die, but uh, you don't know you're going to die like right now or this afternoon. Like it's really different when you know you're going to die and it's soon. And, uh, and that's what Saul was wrestling with. Now, as a pastor, and I'll be honest, probably you live a little bit of life, you kind of see this with others. There's just people from time to time that, that know they're going to die and we're around them. And uh, we've seen cancer diagnoses or an accident or something like that. And the doctors will tell us they only have so long, they're only going to be here for a little while, you know, like they know. I will tell you this, I think, I think that can be a mercy of God. Like when, you know you're, like when you know the time frame that you're going to die, that can be a mercy from God. Because you have time, I think first, to reconcile with God, which is, should be your number one. But then to reconcile all your relationships before you pass from this earth. That's, I think that's kind of a gift from God. Uh, now, you could, you could argue that and be like, that sounds horrible. Well, the thing is, like we, we're all going to die. How great would it be if you knew you had a week to wrap things up? Right, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> that'd be good. Like, I'm, I don't want it. I'm just telling you. Uh, because I've seen it play out really well. Uh, I shared uh, previously in the, the church, but in an earlier service as well, uh, about my grandma Bright. So my grandma Bright, hers a neat story. She's 88 years old, and she had... Um, never walked with Jesus once in her life. Um, she, just not her thing. She went a church person, never read the Bible, didn't go to church, didn't believe in Jesus, uh, like that. Uh, she had a friend of hers, and then this, this years ago, a friend of hers got caught up in all the televangelist stuff, gave a lot of her money away to them, and my grandmother mocked her incessantly, which was probably appropriate. Um, and, um, and so my grandma then, she just made fun of Christianity. So then my grandma, 88 years old, gets diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, I just told my wife, I was like, I got to go talk to grandma. So my grandma lives in my, I'm from Missouri originally, Missouri, if you're from there, uh, from Missouri originally. And so uh, I went out to Missouri to see my grandma. She had two weeks to live, which we didn't know at the time. We thought it was much longer. And so I go talk to her. Hey, grandma, like, you know, I know, I know you haven't really walked with the Lord. And I'm a pastor, which I know is weird uh, for us. But, and we don't talk like that. We've never talked like this. I like, But we don't have any time left. Uh, we need to have a really serious conversation about Jesus and she said to me she said you know it wouldn't be right for him to let me follow him now since i've ignored him my whole life uh so she's like basically saying i shouldn't go to heaven i said all right you're saying that because you're 88 years old right she's like yeah i said all right how old is god she's like he's eternal right i said all right so comparatively how old are you compared to him and she's like oh like you know that i was like all right so only long in your eyes not long in his eyes right I feel like in this short amount of time that you've been before the Lord, you can still turn to the Lord. And so I just opened up the gospel and I explained it to her. I was, the story has a lot of neat elements to it. That I, can't, I can't go into that'd be like a whole thing. But uh, get to the end of it, I said, Grandma, would you like to, you know, commit your life to Christ? Would you like to be saved? And uh, she said, If God would have me, I would, I would respond to Him. Like if, if He would let me go to heaven. Uh, I said, like, Oh. I was like, well, that's that's like what he does, you know. Like so I am talking about the thief on the cross and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I was like, do you want to pray with me right now and, and give your life to the Lord? And she's like, yeah, I do. They're I like, all right, so let's do this thing. So we bow our heads, and uh, she's like, well, what do we say? And I said, well, I'll I'll give you a phrase, and you can kind of repeat it, and then just maybe repeat, you know, what's in your heart. And so I start off, and I was like, well, let's just start by maybe acknowledging the Lord. And I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something like, you know, dear Father in heaven, thank you that you you love me, you hear me, and uh, and then my grandma she just goes off. She's like, God, I've never talked to you. Thank you. And she's just like going, and I'm like, those are not the words I gave you. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so she goes on and on. And we just went kind of step-by-step step through what you would call the sinner's prayer and talked about her sin. But like every time we got to her, like, you know, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. Lord, you know all the things I've done. I've done this and this. And you're like, oh, grandma, all right. Uh, and so she does all this stuff. And she gave her life uh, to the I mean, lobby legit uh, conversion. And this was years ago now. So um, you can say hi to her in heaven. Uh, hopefully you'll see her before me. Um, and just as, as a, oh, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, so like all this cool stuff, but like the thing I think for her, the thing for her that's great is like, she knew, she knew. And it, like, if you if you knew. Now, none of us want to, you don't want to live on on the edge. Like, I'm not going to follow the Lord until I'm about to die. Like, that is a really bad plan. Um, and But that's also misunderstands because the idea is that I come to know the Lord so I can escape judgment. Like, that's that's not the point. The point of knowing the Lord is the journey. Like, like having him with me in life. I, I don't know how people make it in this world apart from Christ. With all the junk we go through, with the, all the arrows of life that pierce us, we are already mortally wounded. We are desperate for rescue. I don't know why everybody doesn't respond uh, to the Lord. But anyway, this is, where, this is where they are. They're desperate for rescue, and it just doesn't come. This is the judgment of God uh, that's upon them. And I am reminded of this too, that judgment comes for all people. For anybody that thought, Saul's getting away with it. Like he murdered all the priests of God. To anybody that looked at that, was like, how does he get away with that? Where's the judgment of God? The judgment of God comes for every person. So so if you're ever wondering in this world why judgment doesn't come to that evil person that you hate, like judgment does come for them. It's just not in your timing, right? The, The caution I would give to us is we are so willing for the evil people that we perceive to face judgment that we forget That we too, in God's sight, are evil people deserving of judgment. And but for the grace of Christ, none of us will stand before God. So let's be very slow to wish judgment on the people around us when we too deserve judgment for our sin and rebellion against the Lord. Uh, All that stuff, the gossip, the greed, the lust, the sexual sin, the deviancy, the arrogance, the pride, the hating people, wishing death upon others. All that stuff God sees in our heart. And if you do not have the grace of Christ covering that, you too will be judged. And so let's be careful with that. All right, verse 7. Verse 7. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and they lived in them. So, you know, you can actually, you can actually spectate a battle back in those days. I mean, you could just watch the, the people fighting and they see it. They see it all. They see Israel's uh, being attacked. They kind of probably had some idea of where the king was, and they realize that they're just they're overcome. And then you're watching. And then not only are the Israelite soldiers being wiped out, but the ones that are left begin to run for their lives. I listen. When your army is decimated and the last few soldiers begin to run for their lives, you are in trouble. And uh, and so there are. They're looking. They're looking back at their house. They're looking at the Philistines who are there in the land, and they do the only logical thing. Everybody pack up. We're leaving. And so they abandon all their homes. And so then the Philistines conquer. They come in and just, they got free housing every, everywhere. So they just move in and take over everybody's uh, homes, the original squatters. And so that's what they do. They come in, they take, take everybody's homes. Um, and then, uh, then it gets more brutal the next day. So the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. Whew, that's, that's just some rough stuff uh, going on there. I mean, nasty. I mean, they cut off his head. They probably actually put his head in the temple of their goddess as well, which I don't even want to get into what that would all be like. But, um, uh, So one of the things I said last week, and we were talking about David and his men and how this works. One of the things I said last week is that blessing leaks, (laughs) blessing leaks. I don't even know if that's a good turn of phrase, but blessing leaks. The idea is this, is that when you're a child of God and you love the Lord, despite what's going on in your life, there's a blessing you receive just by loving the Lord. And that blessing that you receive leaks onto the lives of the people around us. They they get some benefit of that, whether they are Christians or not, that just kind of leaks out over them. Well, the, the same is true with sin. So sin brings a natural consequence, and that consequence leaks. It leaks onto the people around us. And so when you sin or the people around you sin, it gets mess on everybody around you. Uh, and that's what you're like, listen, man, I'm just trying to keep my own life together. Would you quit messing on me? Like, don't put your sin on me. Uh, but it happens all the time. But in Saul's case, even, even worse. Because in Saul's case, God is taking down the whole nation because of his rebellion. Right? So you're talking about a, a consequence that leaks out onto people. He has ruined a country. So I think the one thing that we want more than anything else is our leaders in whatever position they're in, from our companies to our country, we want our leaders to love Jesus. Like, I, I tell you, like, when it comes to voting, voting for me is real simple. You just look down and you're like, okay, who on here loves Jesus? Right? And then you're like, is there another sheet uh, somewhere? Like, yeah, it's hard. It is hard. So, but, but my thought would be this. Like, people who love Jesus, that, it leaks out onto everything. And so we want people uh, who love Jesus. And, uh, and in this case, um, it, it was tough to find, and, and judgment comes. But um, that, that leaky effect has ruined an entire nation. And this was a brutal time, just an absolutely brutal time. So they literally take the body of the king, and they pin it to the wall of a city. And uh, we saw it up there earlier, Beth Shan. And the thing is with this, it's a declaration. That we won. We're the powerful one. Here's your king. You want to see your king? He's, he's uh, a humiliation right here on our, on our wall. Uh, just a hideous thing. Now, in the midst of all of this, I think, there is a silver lining. There's a silver lining. So let's unpack that just a bit. Let me go forward, starting at verse 11. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night. And it took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth-shan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted for seven days. Now, I just, I, I can't imagine. Like, they run, they tell the guys of Jabesh Gilead, like, hey, this king is dead, they put his, Body on a wall, and so the valiant men of the city get together and like, hey, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna march all night long. We're gonna show up at Beth Shan in the deep of dark, and we're gonna pull the body down, uh, or his and his sons if they're there, gather all them, and we're gonna come back and we're gonna bury them here properly. And um, and in this case, I think part of the silver lining is there are still noble, good, brave people in Israel. But you might ask, why would they do this for a dead body? Like, would you do that for a dead body? Like, you know, would you go into enemy territory? and go rescue the body of a guy who didn't even love the Lord. Like, like you know, if they'd come to me with that, I'd be like, you know, dude's dead, man. I mean, he's not getting any better, and uh, nobody's gonna care. Like, he doesn't care, I don't care. Like, let's just, let's leave his body. Uh, so they don't, but okay, so here's the question. Why then did the people of Jabesh Gilead go get him? Well, there's a great reason. Um, Saul wasn't always a jerk. Saul started much better in life when he had been anointed king and was supposed to lead. And if you'd been reading First Samuel and you were in chapter 11, in chapter 11, uh, there's this wicked dude, uh, Nahash, the Ammonite. So Nahash comes to Jabesh Gilead, and he's like, hey, I'm going to, he, he's really cocky. And he comes to the city, he's like, hey, I'm going to take your city over. And, um, and uh, so here's what I'm going to do. I'll make an agreement. If you'll enter into a treaty with me, an agreement with me, then here's what I'll do. I'll let you live, but I'm going to gouge out the eye, of, one eye, of all your men. And uh, Jabesh Gilead's like, hey, listen, um, we don't like that idea. But let us kind of talk to some of our people in Israel and we'll get back to you. And he's like, that's fine. I mean, that's like, that is such hubris. The idea that like, I'm so powerful, it doesn't even matter. And so then they turn to Israel and they're like, hey, this is what's going on. Um, And so the word gets back to Saul. Saul. And Saul, when he hears it, gets this rage that comes upon him. But what we find out is it is from the Lord. The rage is from the Lord. Um, and he sends out a, a, a very distinct note to, uh, you got to go back and read chapter 11, uh, to the rest of Israel, like, hey, you better come here and fight this battle or, or I'm going to, you'll be in bad shape with me. Uh, and so then they all rally and they show up and <laughs> they just wipe out uh, the Ammonites. And so uh, they deliver Jabus Gilead. And so Jabus Gilead is like, listen, hey, listen, I don't, whatever they thought of Saul, I don't know, but they were going to honor the office. They were gonna honor the office of the king that delivered them. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think there's a part of that that we get in our culture where you honor the office. Uh, like for instance, let's just say that um, in, in one of the last uh, presidential elections, and we've had two very different ones, um, that you, you didn't vote for one of those guys and you don't like that guy. And on a particular Sunday morning, you get to church and that guy walks in the building. Like that president that you didn't vote for walks in the building and for whatever reason walks up to you, extends their hand and says, good morning. Like, would you shake the hand of the president that not only you didn't vote for, you probably haven't prayed for and you really don't like that much. So what would you do? So I had a friend of mine tell me one time, we were talking about a particular president and he said, man, if he walked in uh, to church and extended his hand to me, I would not shake it. I was like, all right, dude. Okay, come on, man. Like I... I get it. I get you didn't vote for the guy. Like, it's the president, the president of the United States. You're not going to shake the hand of the president of the United States or a former president of the United States? Come on, man. Uh, like, show some respect for the office. And so I would appeal that, like, that's something we should do. And maybe J.B.S. Gilead is doing that. Like, whether or not we respected Saul, we respected the office. But certainly, I do think for them, they did love Saul a bit uh, because of what he had, uh, had done to them. Um, so the silver lining, perhaps a little bit that there's still some noble men. But, but here's the better thing, the, perhaps the better silver lining. Uh, and this ties into how stories work. So, like, story works like this. Like, in, in all the best stories, it's always darkest before the dawn, right? Like, you almost need that that, that climactic, horrible moment so that it makes the other side beautiful, right? So, um, and think about this. It, even in the Hallmark movies you just watched, if you're a Hallmark kind of fan, all right? The Hallmark movies, you know... He was a small-town guy, lived on a farm, made sweaters for kittens. Um, you know, she, she was a big city girl, CEO of whatever. There's no reason they should be together. She ends up, her car breaks down. She goes in, he helps her, blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of coming together. It looks like things are going to work out. Oh, it's awesome. They're coming. to this beautiful thing. And then nightmare, something happens. She's got to leave the city, and it's a horrible thing. And well, I thought you'd love me. And then they hate each other. And it's not going to work out. And you're like, oh, And then the next scene, they're kissing. And everything's great. And they're going to get married. Uh, like, it's like the whole thing like you need you need to be drawn into the story and like that's that's the story it's like it's really if you stop the story right now it's like are they ever going to get together is this thing ever going to work out and and what we know is that David is still alive and well David's army still strong undefeated loaded they're (laughs) really wealthy right now like this defeat is a temporary defeat okay now let's talk about our lesson learned Let's talk about our silver lining. And let's talk about our defeats that are really only temporary. See, this is where we get caught up in this a little bit. But first, let's talk about David and Saul. So David and Saul, two very different people. So Saul, Saul was definitely an enemy of the Lord. He was an enemy of the Lord. His sin leaked out onto people, caused collateral damage to everybody around him, took down the whole nation. His downward spiral was just tragic. David, on the other hand, who, by the way, also didn't live an easy life, even though he was following the Lord, um, he's been on the run, he's been hunted like an animal by the very king of Israel. His first wife was taken away from him and given to another man. If you can just imagine the humiliation that would go with that. Uh, his life is an experience of pain, loss, and suffering. And yet, the two different paths had very different results. You're either on the path of God's enemy or uh, the path of God's friend. And if you're on the path of Saul, then you need to be reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, which says... It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, meaning that judgment comes for all. But if you're on the path of David as a friend of God, then you're reminded of this that we see in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, this is Jesus speaking, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So John, I spent a lot of time in John 10 just this last week thinking about all this stuff. So what a beautiful thing to be uh, a sheep in the pasture of the Lord. Although, uh, just to be fair, sheep isn't complimentary. It means we're dumb, but it's still beautiful. Um, and so this, this great thing going on here. All right, so let me talk about, let's talk about the darkness. Let's talk about the silver lining. So the silver lining, the thing that makes it so significant is that it's the darkness that, that makes you look for it. Like darkness is a part of life. And if you're telling me like, hey, right now life's going good, okay praise the Lord, enjoy that, uh, the clouds are coming. But then they go away, but then they come again. So this is, this is how life works. We're sinful people in a sinful world, sin leaks. Uh, so uh, if you're going through darkness right now, let me just remind you of something. God is still good. Don't let the clouds obscure the fact that God is good. It is so easy to let that happen, where then you start to blame the sun that's behind the clouds. Like, don't, don't do that. He's, he's not the author of the clouds. He's the, the, the redeemer. Uh, also too, when I think about this, I think about death. And I think about watching this tragedy that happened with Saul. And I'm reminded that the death, watching death, going to funerals, is actually a good thing. And I, I hate funerals. You probably hate funerals. In fact, if you like going to funerals, you probably need some uh, cognitive help. Um, but, but I think there's something about sitting there, staring at the coffin or the urn, and thinking, me too, one day. And so in that moment, seize that moment. That's a silver lining moment where you're reminded that the death is a cloud. And behind this is the grace of God. But we know, even though we're watching this here, and we've got two different lives being lived. We've got the life of the guy who uh, fought against the Lord, the guy who who lived for the Lord. Like, it is not our good stuff that we do and the bad stuff that we do that's going to separate us from the Lord. Like, we've come far enough now, and as New Testament people, we understand It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we will find the redemption that we need. Like the good stuff we do, the bad stuff we do, it's not going into some tank that's gonna make us right or wrong with God. It is all about the Lord. And so let me encourage you in this. You need to be right with Jesus. This is a Grandma Bright moment in my life. Like you, stop wasting time. If you're not where you need to be with the Lord, we need to fix that today. And so I'm gonna ask you if you just take a moment, bow your heads with me let me pray for us. Jesus, I just want to pause right now and acknowledge you. Acknowledge that you are real. You're the son of God who came to this earth and gave his life for us. You paid our penalty by allowing yourself to be nailed to a cross. You allowed God to turn his face from you as the judgment and the wrath due for all of mankind was poured out on you. Lord, you took our pain into the grave. But then on the third day, you walked out of that tomb having satisfied mankind's debt with God. But that satisfaction of debt only becomes real for those who put their faith in you. And so Jesus, would you hear from us this morning or hear afresh from this, this morning that we believe in you? We put our faith in you. You are the one who died for us. Lord Jesus, please forgive us for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And may we commit our lives to you. And even if we don't know what that means, Lord, we're asking, would you, by your power and in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength to live the kind of life that we need to live in this world that shoots so many arrows into our heart? And yet... Our redeemer is the silver lining. The one who, when the clouds go away, will be fully revealed in his redemptive light. We believe in you, our Lord Jesus, in your holy name, amen.